Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. All right. How many of you love those babies up here? Yeah, right? How many of you love babies in general? All right, good. Well, my wife and I do as well. We had four of them ourselves. And, yeah, so you could see a resemblance in one of them or two of them or three of them. And they resemble not only each other, but their parents. By the way, they're all dedicated to the Lord as well. So we're so grateful for a church that has that. But as they grow up, they also continue to resemble each other and resemble their parents. I want to show you one more baby picture today. It is actually found in the Bible. In the book of Acts is where we see the birth of the church. And so as you make your way there, I just want to explain why that's so important. Because if we stay true to the DNA that God has given us right through Jesus Christ, if we remain aligned with what the church is supposed to look like, we're going to continue to make an impact in our world as he intended. We'll have those same traits, those same characteristics that we saw so long ago. And so in the book of Acts, this is a book written by a person named Luke. You might be familiar with the name. He wrote uh, the book of Acts along with another book that bears his name, and it's the record of the life of Jesus Christ. And so in the book of Acts, you see the account of the life of the apostles of Jesus Christ. And so, again, this is important because individually, if we are followers of Christ, we're going to look like him. And collectively, if we're his church, we're going to look like the church we'll read about in just a moment. But as you are turning there, or as we begin to read, I just want you to know what's kind of taking place here. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried, and resurrected to new life. And so post-resurrection, he has some famous last words. Let's take a look at them in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 4. It says, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So this isn't the first time they're hearing about this. And then it goes on in in verse 8 to speak of what this promise is. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So post-resurrection, Jesus shares a meal with his disciples. And... No one has ever resurrected before, so I'm sure it was a little awkward as you hear, you know, silverware clanking, and I just picture one of the disciples breaking the silence. Uh, So, Rabbi, uh, you look pretty good, by the way. You've been working out more, (laughs) right? And and so, whether it was Peter or whoever putting their foot in their mouth, there, there was something different about this, right? Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days intermittently, and again, he spoke words, and he gave them a key command during this time, right, which is to watch the video until the end, wait for it, right, and, and, and they did, 
And this wasn't an it that they were waiting for. It was a person. It was the third person of the triune Godhead. And so this is critical to, to understand because, first of all, they could not accomplish the great commission that they were given without the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't be able to have Jesus' prayer answered, right, to be united if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And, moreover, this is God himself promising to be in us, to empower us, to accomplish and to finish the work and the will of God here on earth. And so what started in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions all those thousands of years ago has reached us today. And I want you to, to make sure you understand that we are all a part of this. Jesus prayed for all his followers in John 17. Jesus commissioned all his followers in Matthew 28. And Jesus promised to empower all his followers here in Acts 1 that we just read. But if we don't understand that truly, we're going to miss out big time. And again, this is something that we can't afford to miss because if we don't receive this promise of the Holy Spirit by faith, then we're not going to live the way God intended us to. We're not going to resemble his church, nor are we going to resemble Christ in our actions. And what's going to happen is, first of all, that's not even biblical Christianity. Secondly, it would be utterly powerless to transform our lives and ultimately meaningless to our lives. It'll just be another religion on the list. And again, this is not what God intended for us. And so today I want to present you the opportunity to have your life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering, like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, think about the thing that you're struggling with right now. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe it's been decades and everybody knows about it. But what I'm trying to tell you is that you can go 180 degrees with this. It can be turned around for you, but not in your own power. And I want to look at a transformation that occurred with one of the most famous followers of Jesus. I'm sure you know him. His name is Peter. And he had more than a few character flaws, right, some shortcomings like all of us. And I want to show you one example of Peter prior to being empowered. In Matthew 26, this is what it says. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus the Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, excuse me. Again, Peter denied it, but this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Previously, Peter had claimed that he would ride and die for Jesus. He told Jesus, I've been one of your day one guys, right, since the beginning. You can count on me. 
But after all that talk, after the, the pressure was turned up, Jesus lied and denied. Before we get too harsh with him, we can do that ourselves. Right? We can deny Christ with both our lips and our life. And then the third time around, though, Peter got extra, extra. Right? He's like, man, I'm my mama. I don't know, dude. <laughs> Again, this was all before receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's head back to Acts in the second chapter and read what those opening verses say. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So first of all, what exactly is Pentecost? Pentecost is a big Jewish festival. And Pentecost literally means the 50th because it happened 50 days after another important Jewish holiday, the Passover, which means that this account only happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For our purposes today, it's enough to know that this would be a day when hundreds of thousands of Jews would come and make a pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem. And the parade of people included those who plotted the assassination and crucifixion of Christ. Another detail we just read, right? A, he a heaven-sent loud rush of wind that filled the house. This isn't just someone leaving the window cracked as the Santa Ana winds howled throughout the room, right? This was a supernatural act of God. And this spectacular event, right, it also resulted in what appeared to be these flaming tongues, right? I think of hot Cheetos, <laughs> but it was not that. But it was resting over the heads of at least 12 of the uh, believers, the apostles. Some believe that it was even more than a dozen. And it says that they were speaking in different languages as the Spirit of God enabled them. So I want you to imagine this tornado-type uproar in your home and just knocking furniture over, just all this craziness. And on top of that, people starting to speak not gibberish, but fluently in foreign languages. And all this commotion would cause a crowd to gather pretty quickly, right? It did, in verse 5. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because of what I just mentioned earlier, the holiday. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? As I mentioned earlier, Pentecost, a big deal. It happened in the month of June, which means the weather would be conducive for travel, which would mean that this would spike attendance for this event. And this rushing wind, these floating fireballs or whatever it was, initially got the people's attention. But what kept their attention was they understood what was being spoken. 
And, and here's the thing. It wasn't as if all the apostles or believers got into a quick meeting and, and decided to divvy up all the languages and, and then take a crash course in Rosetta Stone and just go for it. Right? That, that's not what was happening. And what was equally amazing about this is that the Galileans, because of their accent, would have trouble with these guttural languages. What do I mean by that? Well, grab your throat and say, gut. Say, say gut. You feel that? Now, keep holding your throat and say, hi. Hi. Right? You, you feel the difference, right? And you might appreciate this more like our brother Gio. Maybe you're trying to speak Spanish and you can't roll your R's like him. <laughs> that was beautiful. Right? But, but that makes this miracle even more impressive. And these native tongues that were being spoken were ranging from Aramaic, Arabic, uh, Persian, Iranian, Latin, uh, Coptic, Berber, of course Hebrew and Greek, and other dialects, right? Instantaneously speaking the language and people understanding the language being spoken. And what's even more impressive as it piles on here, in verse 11, it says that, they were hearing them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So again, they're not just speaking elementary sight words like cat and dog. They're proclaiming and praising God for his mighty works. And some people try to play it down and get a cheap laugh, and they said, no, no, see what happened is they've had too many mimosas for breakfast. That's all this is. But their speech was not slurred, it was not sloppy, it was strong, and it was supernatural. So now, filled with the Holy Spirit, let's see the change in Peter, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. But again, the, the people, some of them at least, were convinced that, no, 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 they're, they're under the influence. They were right about being under the influence. But it wasn't alcohol. It was the Holy Spirit. And, and this time, Peter didn't back down. He stood up. He stood up and with power and with precision, he unapologetically proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He referenced the Old Testament prophet Joel and even the psalmist David. And he went from being like this. I don't know the man to Jesus is the man. That is transformation right there. Right? He was bold. He wasn't bashful. He was not intimidated. He was inspired and unashamed to talk about Jesus. And then he sums it up in this way, in verse 21. He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
Amen? Right, exactly. I mean, this guy was preaching. That is amazing. Instead of cowering in fear, again, he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached and he invited the crowd to call on the name of Jesus. Jesus who lived perfectly. Jesus who died sacrificially. Jesus who resurrected miraculously. And for centuries, preachers empowered by the Spirit are calling others to do the same thing. And then he piles on in verse 32 about the resurrection. He says about this, that God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Again, Peter had to set the record straight. What the people were witnessing was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so he was also saying in in a sense that, look, this is an awesome experience, but there is ample evidence of everything that we're talking about, that we've talked about, that you're seeing, that this is Christ crucified and risen, and now the Holy Spirit promised and given. And there's the Trinity even in that verse. I don't know if you caught it. And so God is, is working together. Right, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and this was not a man-made episode. This was God's doing. This is why Peter was able to conclude this in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He was telling them, make no mistake about it. God sent his son to die For your sin. And this message was so powerful, so so convicting, that it demanded a response. It demanded a response from the people then and us today. And in verse 37, it reads what happened to them. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. What does that mean? Other translations may read uh, pricked or, or pierced. And what's happening here is it's a feeling of deep conviction. Right? It's, it's an emotion that you just can't easily brush off. It's something that is being done to you and telling you something has to change. And it has to change now. You might even be experiencing this as I speak. And... It, I know it might seem like a bad feeling, but it's actually a very good thing. Because if you humble yourself and respond the way that God desires, then it will be the best decision that you will ever make. And this is what Peter told them to do in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What does it mean to repent. It means to have a change of heart and a change of mind, to go in a different direction, to abandon your, your former disposition and to leave your sinful ways behind and to fully embrace God's ways as your new ways. And then baptism, that's just an outward declaration saying you've repented, right? Saying you can number me among 
all those that proclaim and confess Christ. I'm one of them now. I'm in the family of God now. That's why we provide that opportunity every single month on the second Sunday because it's a command from Christ. And then forgiveness of sins. All that is is your greatest need. You might be saying, no, actually my greatest need is the next breath I take. Well, I would say what happens after you take your last breath? If you do not have the forgiveness of sins by the way of believing in Jesus Christ, then you'll spend eternity apart from God's grace. And once you make that decision, though, you get to be a part of God's family, and then you join us as we, the people of God. I know many of you, many of you have already made that decision to be followers of Christ, but you're still on the sidelines, so to speak. You, you might even be thinking to yourself, yeah, I feel even more like that now that I saw what, what Peter went through the, and the transformation that took place in his life. You might be saying to yourself, oh, I just, I'll, I'll never be like that. I, I'm not an apostle. And I'll never have that type of power. You're both right and wrong. You're right in the sense that what we just read about is a one-time thing in the way it went down specifically. Actually, you can read about a similar occurrence in Acts 19, but again, the, the reason and the purpose for this was because God was doing something special. All miracles right, are, are meant to confirm a, a message, but this extraordinary occurrence happened to, to validate and to authenticate what God was doing, that he was endorsing the origin story of the birth of the church. And he was intimately involved in all the aspects, behind the scenes, at the forefront. Yet you have to understand that these were not the founding members of your local Moose Lodge. Right? These weren't charter members of your neighborhood country club. Right? These were God's appointed and selected and anointed leaders that were spirit-filled in order to build the first church but not the last church. Where you're wrong is that if you believe that you cannot possess this type of power, and your reasoning might sound a little like this, well, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm just a kid. I didn't graduate high school. I'm shy and introverted. I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. But this is what God says about those who believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior. In verse 38, it says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. As this was written those who are far off are us. Do you truly believe what Jesus has given us, that it can be yours? Have you claimed that promise? This, by the way, the power that God is saying is available to you is the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. Do you believe it? 
You should because it's true. But similar to salvation, it's a gift that must be received by faith. And I know some of you out there want to believe it. And this is heartbreaking. But deep down inside, you don't. And the rationale that I believe that most people who fall into that category would say and would make is because I'm not perfect, I have no purpose in life. I have no power over sin. But just because you're flawed doesn't mean you can't be used. If that was the case, God couldn't use anyone. He couldn't use Peter, couldn't use the apostles, couldn't use yours truly. But again, even though you're not perfect, in Christ, you're forgiven. And so this is what I need you to know and what I need you to believe. Even though you're imperfect, you can still be empowered. Do you believe it? All of us are imperfect, but I don't think all of us are empowered. And that can change today. You see, sometimes we look back at the first church and, and we think to ourselves, wow, they did so much. They, 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 they were probably perfect. But if you keep reading in the book of Acts, what you're going to find soon is materialism, favoritism, racism. Friends, the only perfect church is the church in heaven. You see, Jesus died so we could be free from the penalty of sin right now. Jesus died so we could be free from the power of sin right now. And Jesus died so we could be free from the presence of sin one day. And so if you struggle, that's okay. And what I'm saying is this. Yes, accept your imperfections, but don't use that to lower your standard of leaving sin unchecked in your life. What I'm saying is rely all the more on God's spirit to help you overcome sin. I'm reminded of another apostle, Paul, and many of you maybe have memorized this. He, he said, or excuse me, it was said to him by Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what did the birth of the church look like? Here's the baby picture in verse 41. It says, those who were who accepted his message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a big baby, right? <laughs> That's an exponential growth spurt. From being over 100 people to being about 3,000, that, that's huge. But remember this, a vast majority of them were new believers. And one can even argue that a few new Judases may have slipped in. Right, so definitely imperfect, but as we read, empowered. And so for the rest of our time, I want to just reveal three ways that, that God empowers his people by the Holy Spirit. And every local church, regardless of size, and every church across the globe should resemble the first church in the following ways. Because again, we all have access to the same power via the Holy Spirit. And I, want, I don't want you to over-spiritualize what I mean by this empowerment by the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's turn to Galatians 5, 16, and listen to what it says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let's jump down to verse 22. 
It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? Those are not some way pie-in-the-sky type of, of things that, that are out of our reach. Right? Those are things that would affect us each and every single day. And it goes on in verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's, again, leading in every part of our lives. And so as the Holy Spirit guides and leads our lives, we're empowered by God to, first of all, worship like a family. In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All of us have an idea of what devotion is, right? This word in particular speaks of diligence and persistence and a staying by someone's side. But we didn't even need to know that to know what devotion looks like in, in our personal lives. It's what dominates your thoughts. It's what you spend time on. It's what you spend money on. It's the first thing in your mind in the morning. It's what keeps you awake at night. And so if our relationship with Christ is supposed to be the most important, and it is, we should have a devotion to him and to his bride. Because our, our devotion often dictates our actions or lack thereof. And so we read about four aspects here. Right? By the way, all of these are done in the context of community. Right? The, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to sit under the teaching of God's word. Then there's fellowship. This has everything to do with sharing their stuff and contributing to the needs of each other, both with money and, and, and ministry. There's this breaking of bread. That's sharing meals together like a real family and even observing communion like forever family. And then this idea of prayer. They, they recited formal prayers, but they also had spontaneous, specific prayers that we See, even today, like at the end of service, you'll have an opportunity to do that and receive prayer. I'm sure you've prayed with one another in, in our time outside of the service. In other words, they were doing life together. And this happens not just on Sunday mornings. It should happen in small groups. I believe that's the best environment to worship like a family. That's why we have Rooted. That's why we have growth groups. That's why we have support groups. That's why we want all of you to be in an ongoing life group. Because this is what the first church did. Secondly, we're empowered by God to give with generosity. Look what it says in, in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I know on the surface this sounds extreme and intense, and I, I don't believe God's asking us to adopt the practices of communism, but... But there is something we can observe and obey here, a biblical principle, and that is one of sacrificial generosity. And this is more difficult and more problematic than you may initially think. Especially in our day and age where we're just bombarded with consumerism and it just runs rampant, right? At every turn, we're being seduced into buying something. And we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to break us from these chains of greed and selfishness. Again, don't over-spiritualize what God's Holy Spirit can do in your life. A lot of us get so caught up 
in the American dream that it soon morphs into a financial nightmare, sometimes overnight. And, and to help you kind of gauge where you're at with this, just ask yourself, when was the last time you gave sacrificially and generously? I'm not talking about donating your dented and expired canned goods. I'm not talking about rounding up your spare change after making a big purchase. I'm, I'm talking about being able to be together so you know the need and then being close enough to care about meeting a need. And yes, costing you substantially, costing you significantly, because that's what happened here. But you better believe this, you and I cannot do that without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The third empowerment by God is to reach out to our community. Look what it says in verse 46. Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Right? We read of thousands of people surrendering their lives to Christ, and then they met every day, not just once a week for one hour to hear someone talk about the Bible and go home to the same old same. That's not what they did. And I'm not saying that we should stop doing that. I'm saying we should do more. And what's so amazing is they essentially had a bunch of small groups meeting in homes, a bunch of imperfect people that were empowered by God. And look, there were definitely joyful gatherings. In my mind, I picture every day kind of like the international night that we just had a few weeks ago. If you missed that, you, you missed out. And so mark your calendars for next year. But we were eating all kinds of delicious food together, right? We were celebrating unique cultures together. We were singing, we were dancing, we were praising together. All as imperfect people. And so what you can also rest assured of is that as imperfect as they were, they had both good days and bad days. They laughed and they cried. But again, they had this sense of family as they worship. And they had communion, and I'm sure someone spilled it on the new carpet and the white couch. But they kept on going and kept on loving each other. And again, they were in the, the temple courts as well. This was a public place, right? So they weren't just hunkered down and huddled up in their homes, but they were out and about. And the reason they were out there in the community was so they could be a witness, as we read, to a watching world. So other people could observe their God-given empowerment. What kind of power am I talking about? I'm talking about the power to love those who hated them. I'm talking about the power to forgive those who hurt them. I'm talking about the power to be kind to those who disagreed with them. The power to praise God in dark days. The power to care about other people in their community except or instead of themselves. That's powerful. And again, that's the power that we all have. And that's why they were able to get all the favor of not just believers, but all people. You see, when you live this type of spirit-filled Christianity, it is so compelling, it is so engaging, it is so attractive that people will watch you and want in 
They might not say it verbally, but they're going to watch you and say, oh, I know Joe's good people, but there's something else. There's something else. There's something about him. And what that something is, is the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? Look what it says at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God continues to do that today. Did you know that? Every day, people are being saved and added to God's kingdom. Not just on Sundays and not just at sunrise. You have to understand that the church, we the people, is so much bigger than we realize. And again, it's not we the pastors. It's we the people. And the reason we do this is not because we're good people. It's because we're God's people. Even though we're imperfect, we can still be empowered. You believe that? Some of you might be wondering, wow, that's so cool. That's so neat. But I've never experienced this power that you talk of. And the reason you might not have the power of the Holy Spirit might be because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the order. First, believe in Jesus. Then, receive the Holy Spirit. Are you cut to the heart today? That has less to do with anything I said and more to do with what God did and is doing. You see, I can manipulate you to feel a, a certain way and, and, and have these floods of emotion and, and even lay a heavy burden on you, a guilt trip. But that's all short-lived and, and that's all temporary. But when God is doing something in your heart, when God is moving, it's going to be transformative and it's going to be empowering and I know that our perfect God is calling someone today to be a part of his imperfect family. And so today, God wants to add you. He wants to save you. Will you surrender? And so for those who've never done that, I, I want you to pray with me. But this takes a huge dose of humility. This takes you saying, I am so weak and I have been so wrong. But I'm ready to receive Jesus. And so with every head bowed, all eyes closed, and if you've already done this, be praying for those in the room who haven't, but would you just say to God, I realize that it was for my sins that you were nailed to that cross. Right now, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe Christ died for me, and I believe Christ has risen for me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we definitely want to know about it. You can do that a number of ways. You can tear out that perforated connect slip, indicate that you did that, and place it in the offering bag as it comes shortly. You can also go to the back for those in person. And you can talk with somebody. Someone's at that next steps table waiting to have a conversation with you. Or if you are in a rush or it's more convenient for you, text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. But I hope you stick around because I want to give you an opportunity to receive this feeling of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you pray to receive Christ today or in the past at any time, you are indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. But there's a difference of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to have an opportunity to experience God's power, to exercise God's power, so don't miss that. But in the meantime, I want you to just to think of what could happen if your life, every moment of every day, you were filled with God's spirit to do what God called you to do. At work, at school, at your home, here at church, and definitely on the road. Just imagine how different, how transformed that you would be living And so, again, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to take our offering in a moment. And as the bags pass you, that's your green light to come up to the front here and offer your life to Christ, to ask for his filling, his empowerment. And let's do this together. Can you do this by yourself? Absolutely. You're actually commanded to do this every day. But what happens or what will happen if we come together and ask for God to fill us? Let's pray, and we'll be able to both offer our resources and our lives. Father, we thank you for our time together and what you've done in each and every heart. Father, you have comforted us. You have convicted us. You have called us. And I just pray, Lord, that as we have this opportunity to be empowered right now, to worship together as a family, to give with generosity, And then after leaving this place, to reach out to our community. Lord, that we would recognize that it's through your empowerment, through your Holy Spirit. And even though we're imperfect, we will claim that promise of being empowered. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.